All right, well, we are continuing in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, if you are with us, we are going to be starting in chapter 20, if you'd like to follow along in your scriptures, and uh, we'll, kind of be, we'll go quickly through the end of 19, and then into 20 is really kind of the meat of it. Before we get into that, uh, one of the things that I've become aware of over the years, uh, as I've grown older and experienced uh, people as they're going through grief, and especially as uh, someone close to them has died, like a parent or usually a parent or a grandparent, sometimes there's this emergence, and it's kind of an ugly emergence, of selfishness that can take place. And usually it's over money. Uh, the, the families are, are complaining or begin to, to bicker over money. And when I was in Oregon, this happened way more often because I, the church in Oregon, when I was pastoring before coming here, was across the street from a retirement home. And so because it was a retirement home, people tend to retire permanently uh, on occasion. And since we were the, the church that was across the street, a lot of times family would ask me to do uh, a memorial service or a funeral service for their loved one, even though I didn't know them. Sometimes I knew them, sometimes I didn't. And more than once in the interview process, because I would interview them to try and get to know the family, especially if I didn't know them at all, I would try and get them together and interview the kids and people who were close to them so that during the funeral that there's kind of a personal touch to it. I would sometimes find myself drawn into the family disputes over money. And uh, usually it's just, it was just one or two people complaining about their brother or their sister or their, or their aunt and uncle. And usually they were complaining by themselves. They just kind of get into it. They'd say something kind of like, well, he's never here, and, and he's never been here, and things like that. But one time, I was talking with a group about five or six of the family all together, and they got into a huge argument right in front of me about all the, the things that they had felt wronged about in their, in their childhood and in their relationship with each other, and uh, also in the relationship with the deceased, and pretty soon there was shouting and tears and accusations as people tried to, you know, they were just venting all this venom that they had inside, and, and then they tried to draw me into it. Well, what do you think? What do you think, Pastor, about this? Da, 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 da. And it's like, whoa, I'm not part of this craziness. And you know what? You know, and you know how the whole thing started? They were discussing how much they were going to spend on flowers for the funeral. And it just and it escalated into that. Like, well, why are we spending so much? Then pretty soon, well, why don't you? Blah, 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 blah. It just went crazy. Another time in our town, and I didn't deal with these folks, but it was kind of a, a story in our town. A group of siblings so believed that their mother had stashed away thousands of dollars of cash in her house that after she died, they all went to the house and they began to with their sledgehammers, make holes in the walls looking for the money. And they put holes in the floors, holes in the ceilings, holes in the walls looking for the money, and there was no money. All they ended up doing was costing themselves thousands of dollars of damage because they were looking for this money that they believed was hidden in the walls of their mother's house. And I thought about it over the years, you know, it seems like when people feel like they're owed something, either in reality or in their own minds, they can get pretty ugly about the whole thing, especially if they feel they're owed it. Owed people tend not to be very generous when they feel like, I am owed this money, or I am owed this thing, or I am owed this whatever. When they feel like you owe them something, or they feel like they are owed something, either by the estate in these cases or even with other people, human beings don't tend to be very generous. 
because we feel like we have a right to it. And that right very often makes us act out in ways which aren't very glorifying to God. And in, this, in the preceding passage that we covered last week, Jesus tells a rich young man, and you remember this from last week, he tells him that even though he has a sincere desire to be righteous, that in order to be perfect, and we talked about perfection last week, he had to sell everything he had and give it to the poor and follow Christ. And if you remember that after the young man walks away, Peter makes sure to point out to Jesus that he and the disciples had indeed done this. They had left everything to follow him. It says after this, that after Jesus watches this guy walk away, Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? You can see Peter's mind is kind of in that same place of what is, what is owed to us because we have left everything for you. And Jesus is actually pretty generous. He gives them a fairly clear answer. He says, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, that's, a little, that's kind of an unclear part, and I think the disciples probably didn't catch that. But at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So this is a fairly straightforward answer. You know, in, in, at the end of all things, those who have followed Christ will certainly receive their reward. But then Jesus follows this up with a kind of cryptic sentence. He says, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Now, this is where chapter 19 in the Gospel of Matthew ends. And I've told you before that we need to be a little careful when we read the scriptures where they have chapter breaks and verse breaks. Because this is a good example of this is, not exact, this is not where the flow of the thought ends. Because this little sentence, uh, the, last will be, the first will be last and many who are last will be first, brackets the parable that we're going to be looking at today. This exact same sentence begins the parable and ends the parable. And in between these sentences is the parable that kind of explains this idea. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So let's read. This is out of Matthew 20. So right after he says... Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. He says, For the kingdom of God is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to, to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them in his vineyard. About, a, about the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and still found, other, found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to him, you go also and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So this comes, the first will be last, the last will be first. The workers who were hired at about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So then those who, came, who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last only worked one hour. They said, and you have made them equal to us who have bore the burden of the work and the heat of the day. 
But he answered them, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So this story, this parable that Jesus tells is pretty straightforward. But there are some important things to kind of point out to give the, the full meaning of it. As Jesus tells this story, those who are the first hired to work are, agree to work for a Daenerys. And a Daenerys is a, it's not an extraordinarily uh, generous sum. It's not a small sum. It's a, it's a fair day's pay for a fair day's work. So the people hearing this story for the first time would go, that, that makes sense. It's a fair day's pay for a fair day's work. And then as the vineyard owner seeks out more workers, you'll notice he never really specifies what he's going to pay them. He just says, I'm just going to pay you what is right. He leaves it kind of ambiguous as to what he's going to pay. And he does this a few more times as he pays the workers. The other thing that's important to recognize is after the first group of workers are hired, every time he goes out, the scripture points out that these other folks are doing nothing. They're doing nothing. And the scripture makes it clear they're doing nothing. And we'll look at that more closely a little bit later. And then, of course, when it comes time to pay them, the twist to the story is that they all get paid the same. The guys that, that only worked for an hour get paid the same amount as the ones that worked all day. And the workers who are hired first think, this is unfair. This is unfair. Our German brothers and sisters would resonate with this. This is not fair. And the vineyard owner says to him, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now it's important to point out that those who were hired first were not cheated in any way. They were given a fair day's wage for a fair day's work, and they had agreed upon this before going into the, the field. What they're not happy about is that the owner of the vineyard was generous with all the workers, particularly those who worked a shorter amount of time. So what is this parable about? Well, it's covering a lot of things. But at its center, the parable reflects the heart of God as opposed to the heart of humanity. And we're going to look through some reasons why those who were hired first should not feel cheated. In fact, some reasons why those who worked in the vineyard the longest should be the most grateful. First of all, what's the owner do? Everyone that the owner hires in this story, he gives purpose to their life. Because if you look through this carefully, especially these verses 3 through 7, you'll find that there's lots of References being made here to the men doing nothing. They were doing nothing with their lives. Verse 3 says, He went out and saw Etherstan in the marketplace. What? Doing nothing. And then he goes out the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and it's the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he still finds others standing around. And he even asks them, Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? They have no purpose. They're doing nothing. And what's the excuse that they give? They say, Well, no one has hired us. No one has given us purpose. And so the vineyard owner says, well, then go and work in my vineyard, and you'll have purpose. 
Purpose is one of those things that, that, that as human beings, we long to have purpose. Purpose basically drives us. Why do we exist? What is our life about? All these questions that we ask, those are questions around purpose. Or sometimes people will call it a mission, a mission statement or something like that. For example, our church has a mission statement that we want to reach all the nations with the gospel and make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is the reason why we exist. That is our purpose as a church. If your friends were to ask you, why does, why does your church even exist? What's the point of IBCD? The point that we have is we want to reach the nations with the gospel and make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is our purpose. And because we have this purpose, then we have a goal to strive toward. We have a meaning for what we do. And we want that as individuals too. Most people don't want to just go through life and end up at the end of their life feeling like their life had no purpose. And that does happen. People get to the end of their lives sometimes and they'll lament, my life has not meant anything. And when you're sitting on the other end of that, looking into someone's old roomy eyes as they're coming close to the end of their journey of this life, saying, my life had no meaning, I really did nothing that was important or had any purpose, you know, you feel for them. You feel for them because it's like now they're, they're realizing that this hasn't meant anything. They've never, they haven't really invested in what's important. And they've come to this realization late in life. We want our lives to mean something. And for some of us who are blessed, we have found our meaning in Christ. Because whatever role we're called to in the kingdom of heaven, we've all been given a purpose in Christ. You have been given a purpose in Christ. And that purpose is to grow into the character of Christ and to bring that nature and character of Christ into the circle of influence that you have. You bring that nature and character of Christ into the circle of influence of your friends. Bring that character and nature of Christ into the circle of influence of your family. Bring it into the circle of influence that is your workplace. And you hopefully get to the point where you can tell them there's more than just being in the character of Christ, but that there is a purpose to Christ's own life, and that was to be our sacrifice once and for all. We just celebrated today with communion. One, the final sacrifice once and for all to bring us to God. That in Christ we can be made perfect in our relationship with our God, and we can begin to grow into this place of perfection with our God. Personally, one of the things I'm most grateful about in my life is that I found my purpose in Christ when I was fairly young. I was about 18. I found my purpose in Christ. Before that, I had no idea what my life was going to be. I've told you before, the only reason why I went to the university that I ended up going to is because a girl asked me to. That was it. That was how much thought went into what university I went to. A girl that I liked said, I'm going to this university and no one else is going. Will you go? Sure, why not? That was, that was about how deep my purpose was. Her name was also Cindy. But I met my true Cindy. Dig out of that hole, man. <laughs> In fact, when Cindy and I were in San Francisco, when I was going to seminary, we, we had a friend of ours whose grandfather became a Christian when he was 97. And you could kind of cynically say, well, this dude was just kind of waiting until the end of his life so then he could live how he wanted to live and then accept Jesus and slide in right under the wire. But if you think about that carefully, waiting until you're 97? I mean, that's rolling the dice, man. 
Around 70, you can drop dead at any time, even before that, right? So you're waiting until 97. You're taking a big risk. I don't think he was actually that cynical. And according to our friend who, who has spoke with his grandfather, after that, in the few months he had before he died, he was a changed guy. And his grandfather lamented that he hadn't given his life sooner to Christ. And you know, that grandfather at 97 is going to have the same eternal life as I'm going to inherit, who came to Christ at 18 and has been working in the vineyard pretty much since I was 19. Is that fair? Is it fair that his grandfather at 97, who spent maybe three months as a believer, is going to inherit the same eternal life as I'm going to inherit? Of course it's fair. Because we serve an eternal God. What can, what can an eternal God offer other than the eternal? If you're in Christ, the basic, the basic uh, expectation is we receive eternal life. Now, what reward means in heaven after that, I don't know. And I'm not really all that concerned, but I do know this. If there's a limit to the eternal, then it's not eternal, right? Because eternal means eternal. And so you couldn't look at the 97-year-old guy and say, well, you only get to have 10 years of eternal. It doesn't work that way. Eternal is eternal. But on a more personal note, I couldn't imagine going through 97 years of, the, of this life on this planet without knowing Christ. I don't, know, I don't know how people like that exist. I mean, they do, obviously. But I wouldn't want to be in that. I would rather work a full day in the vineyard than to find my purpose in life in the last half an hour of my life. Give me a full day anytime. Because at least I know what I'm about. At least I know what my purpose is. I'm here to work in the vineyard. And I would take knowing that from the age of 18 to being 97, then to be 97 and live three more months going, oh, that's what the whole thing was about. So I'm thankful I found Christ at 18. And you should be thankful that you found Christ before you're 97, because looking out here, none of you appear to be 97. So as you labor... You should be thankful that you had purpose your whole life. And if you don't feel like you have purpose, and you need to ask yourself, well, then why not? If you're a believer in Christ, he's all told you what your purpose is. Your purpose is to glorify God by becoming more and more, by growing more and more into the character of Christ and taking on the mission of Christ as your own mission, which as an individual is to also reach the lost and to make disciples, to to reproduce Christ in others as you share with them what he has meant to you. You have that same purpose. Sometimes there's a straight evangelistic way of doing that. Sometimes you serve that purpose by serving the church, allowing the church to reach that mission. You know, not everyone has to be an evangelist, but everyone can serve that purpose. That's why we're called a body in Christ. Not everyone has the same role, but we support each other going toward that same goal regardless of our role. So then why else should the all-day workers be thankful instead of being cheated? Well, this is just kind of learning to understand God, because God is the vineyard owner in this story. And you know what? The vineyard owner is going to do what he wants to do just because he can. He owns everything. And as the laborers, the laborers just have to get over it when the owner chooses to be generous. 
Because thankfulness is a much healthier attitude to live with than resentment. You know, in these incidents that I was telling you about, of the stories of the families and the money, there is a huge difference I've seen with the person that can say, you know what, I'm thankful for what my parents did for me when I was alive. And if receiving a big inheritance is going to somehow damage relationships around me or somehow damage that sense of thankfulness, then I would just rather not have an inheritance. And there is a much deeper peace in those people than in the ones whose mind, heart, and soul is trying to make up for all the resentments that they feel. Some, some of them are real. Some of them are imagined. But they're trying to make up for the resentments by measuring their validity by the amount of money that they can get out of this relationship. And in the same ways, all believers, we have to accept that God is going to do what God wants to do. And you can be thankful for what He does, or you can resent what He does. But it's not going to change it. God's not going to look at your resentment, just like the vineyard owner didn't go, well, since you guys are really upset, I guess I'll give you two denarius for working. No. <laughs> he just kind of said, get over it. I'm choosing to be generous with my own money. In that same way, God chooses to be generous with his own resources. And if we don't, sometimes we look at what's going on around us and we say, how is that? Why is that? Why does this church grow but that church doesn't? Why is it that it seems like evil people prosper? That's like a question that's found all throughout the Bible because it just doesn't make sense to those of us who believe in God. Why would God allow those who are evil to prosper? Or why do ministries prosper even though the person leading it seems to lack integrity? Why? It seems very what? Unfair. But God is going to do what God is going to do. And you know what the truth is? Most of the times when we're upset with God over him doing what he's going to do, is we don't understand the big picture. We don't know what's going on. We think we do. But honestly, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on within the individual's lives. We don't know what's in God's mind as he's dealing with these folks. Sometimes, and I imagine many of you have experienced this, sometimes there's something that goes on and you're like, why? And then after a few years, you can look back on it and go, ah, that's what God was doing. That makes sense. Sometimes you look back, you have no idea what, what God was doing. And at that point, you can choose. Either I'm going to be thankful for what God is doing in my life, or I'm going to resent what he's not doing in my life and in what he's doing in other people's lives. One of the reasons why uh, it's good to hear other people talk about what God is doing in their life is because sometimes you feel like in your life nothing's going on, and it's helpful to hear that he's actually working in other people's lives. It gives you some hope that, okay, it'll come back around for me. But I've, I've been in situations when people, instead of being encouraged by the fact God's working in other people's lives, they've resented it. And that's going to get you nowhere. Resentment gets you nowhere. So it's better to just be thankful, to look at what's going on in other people's lives. And if it's not great in your life right now, be thankful that it's going well in your brother or sister's lives. And if you can't be thankful then keep quiet. But don't be a complainer to God. Because your answer is going to be pretty much God's going to say, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You don't understand the whole situation? I'm going to do what I'm going to do. It's better to be thankful. You live better when you're thankful. And finally, 
the all-day workers need to realize that the short-term time in the vineyard sometimes is more productive than the all-day work of others. You know, some of the most impactful people on the kingdom of God throughout history did not labor very long in the vineyard. And the reason usually why they didn't labor very long in the vineyard is because they were killed, they were martyred, or they died. When I was a young believer, there was this story of these three guys named uh, Bill Elliott, Nate Saint, and Roger Yodarian. And I, I learned of their story probably when I was about nine years old. I was in, I was in Ghana living as a, my, my, I had my childhood in Ghana, and I had come across some missionaries. And they had this comic book that was about these guys. And uh, the story of them, if you don't know it, is that they, in the late 1950s, they were uh, trying to reach a, an Amazon, a tribe in the Amazon that had never been reached before. And they uh, pioneered some, some ways of flying and landing into these very remote areas. And long story short, they ended up getting killed. The, the, the Amazon tribe saw them as a threat and, uh, and just and killed them because a rumor had gone around they were going to kidnap their women. And so the tribe killed them. But instead of just retreating from it, the inspirational part of the story continued because their sisters, some of their sisters of these men and the wives of these men continued to try and reach this tribe. And they eventually did reach the tribe and share with them the gospel. And when I was a kid and I read their story, I was filled with this desire. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to live a life that meant something. And you know how we are as men, probably women, this is what women they think we're crazy as men, but you guys will understand. You know, when you're young and you're a teenager, uh, someone in their 30s seems like they're ancient, and if you're going to go out, man, you want to go out with some glory, right? You're going out for Jesus. But then as I grew past the age of these folks and began to look back on it, and I look back on their lives, you know, I'm reminded that most of them were in their 20s and early 30s when they died. And they left behind young children and families and wives, and these people were deeply affected by their deaths. And I, I realized, especially now, you know, I'm in my 50s, which seems so bizarre to say, and, uh, and uh, these people seem like kids. And I'm thankful for my long marriage. I'm thankful for 30 years in the vineyard so far. And there's something to be said, you know, for this impactful life that these young guys had. And they just made, they made a huge difference in their story. Good for them. God bless them. But you know what? I'm okay with a long day in the vineyard a long, anonymous, fairly anonymous day in the vineyard, because there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for laboring a long time besides your Lord and besides the people of God, learning more about yourself, learning more about your God, learning more of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I am tremendously thankful for the 25 years longer I've had in the vineyard than any one of those guys had. And I'm thankful that my kids, I've seen them grow up out of, out of they've survived their teenage years. At that point, they're on their own, right? I'm not responsible anymore. 
That's not entirely true. But you know what I mean. And I'm thankful I've had 32, well, let's see. We were married, we're in our 30, 31 years. We're in our 32nd year. It's a long time. So long, I'm kind of forgetting, right? The brain is going. So if you've been called to the vineyard, and you have been, and you see that people seem to be getting more for less, don't let it worry you. Because what you have is deep. And it's what God wants for you in the vineyard. What he wants for me isn't the same as what he wants for you. But what he wants for you is good. So be thankful. Be thankful for what you have, for where you are, and where you're going to go as you labor in the vineyard of our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your, your word, of course, as we always do. And we do thank you for the purpose that you've given us, your generosity you've shown us, because each one of us could point to moments or, or more than just moments of deep generosity. And we thank you that whatever our role is in your kingdom, the goal we have is the same, to be a people that reaches others for you, to glorify you and who we are. And Lord, we pray that as you've given us, you know, everyone here is kind of a different path, a different place in the vineyard, different, different roles in the kingdom, different careers that we follow, different cultures, but we find our unity in the fact we are all in the same vineyard and that we work under the same Lord. And Father, forgive us for the times that we have held resentment because we feel like you've been more generous with those who are less deserving than ourselves. Or we feel like somehow we have been forgotten while others seem to be in that place of walking on sunshine with you all the time. And remind us, Lord, that the journey you have us on is one that is meant for us by you. And may we take it and hold it precious and walk with it in faithfulness with thankful hearts for being our living God who has changed every life of everyone who is in here today. And for those of us who have forgotten or are in that place of forgetting all you have meant to us, may your Holy Spirit remind us and draw us again closer to you as we worship you and as we go into this next week May we go in with our eyes open, realizing that this is the vineyard that we are in. When we look at our neighbors, when we look at our co-workers, when we look at our families, this is the vineyard. May we not forsake it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.